0: Well, hello for another midweek Bible study. Before we begin, we'll be in uh, Ephesians chapter four, as we go through the scripture, the New Testament and the order in which it was written. And again, we have to make some guesses, but that's what we're doing our best. Know this, uh, it's been a very difficult time. It's been about two years since we had two weeks to flatten the curve. And there have been a lot of people who have suffered greatly, a lot of people who have died. Some of my dear friends have died in the last couple of months and not all of them with COVID. Um, In fact, now I'm going back over it. All of them, however, but one of COVID, the other of cancer. And so we're aware that these are dark times for many of you and that you are tuning in uh, not only to learn scripture and to be a part of a community of faith, which is huge, but also as a way to help you ground yourself in something bigger, than the news headlines and the fear. Know that we're with you. And if you have any prayer concerns, write prayer at rsafeharbor.com and we will be in touch, personally in touch, to help every way that we can, all right? Ephesians 4, I therefore, the therefore, we always look at what it's therefore. In chapters one, two, and three, he has made a series of amazing statements of the love of God and the security we have in Christ. That God's love is so great that he has no intention of letting us go. That he loved us when we were not lovable and he loves us now that we're trying to be lovable. And so he is overwhelmed by this message. It has run him down and taken him over. And so that's what he's going at here. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now I really want to stress this. This is because you are saved. It is not to make you saved. Far too often we can grab into these lists and use them as cricket bats to bang people, well see cricket bats, baseball bats, to crack people over the heads with and say, you'd best be like this, or you're in trouble. But that's the opposite of what Paul is saying. Have a look. Have a look through uh, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. He'd made up his mind. He'd predestined himself to love you, predestined us to be receivers of that love before he even started this project. He really is in this. And so for those of us to walk around and judging others and, you know, have the temerity to say, well, he did die for you while you were yet sinners, but he's quite disappointed in the way you're being a Christian now is ridiculous. It's also quite dangerous because it goes against the great, overwhelming love and plan of God. So why is he a prisoner of the Lord? Same way you get to be a prisoner of love. You know, uh, Cammy captured me early and she's kept me for 40 plus years. It's, there's that, there's a prisoner of this. And now we have little jail jailers. We have uh, grandkids and we have our children and we have church. All of these people are there because of our love, but they are also there to make sure we continue to love. You know, I I don't understand people that can walk away from uh, a spouse and children and just go, you know, I feel like I need to, you know, be me really I don't get that God's love is to be so great that we would never consider walking away we would never consider that now we might have to change churches because of this that or the other but even that don't do that casually you know be very very careful about such things one of the things that and I thought was rather harsh at the time and it may have been harsh but it was also rather accurate one of a one of the elders of a church that i served right after we were first married Uh, i was rather excited that a new family had come in they were moving from a church across the um, across the town and as i was talking about how excited i was to have them there and such the elder took me aside and said, just be aware that a church that a family that leaves one church to come to us will also probably leave our church to go elsewhere. And I found that fa- sadly in the majority of times, that's correct. You, uh, the Marines have this rule that if you're training to be an officer and you quit, you can never come back ever. And if you ask them, the answer is always the same. Quitting becomes a habit. Well, God doesn't want you to be able to quit him and he's not going to quit you. So this isn't about you hopping in and out of love. Allow yourself to be captured by the love of God and be his prisoner and enjoy it. Because quite frankly, it's very enjoyable. But now that you're there, what, you know, what should you do with this? Well, that's what Paul's talking about. Not how to be saved or how to stay saved, but rather, okay, now you're in the family. Here's the way the family acts. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, I'm gonna be talking uh, about this actually here in a few days uh, from the time you see this broadcast that that I'm gonna be speaking at Hope Church in Centerville, Tennessee, Uh, that's on February the 6th. If you've never been to Centerville, it's just a delightful little town uh, about an hour and a half west of Nashville. And it is just um, a, a lot of neat people live there and Hope Church is one of my favorite places there with Devin Pickard. And I'm going to be using this text in there. At least that's the plan. Now this is being recorded a month ahead of time. Be completely humble and gentle. All right, let's just start. What, how, what are the things that divide human beings? Opinions, cultures, habits, um, and not just opinions, maybe you know hard won and completely accepted beliefs. Even those you should be humble about. I have atheist friends, and you know, frankly, not as many as I used to have because I used to work more and more in different areas than I do now. But I work with um, some scientists that are atheists. I work with uh, a lot of law enforcement officers that have become atheists because of what they've seen or a variety of issues. That's not the point. The point is that sometimes they'll come up to me and they'll say, well, how can you believe in the sky fairy? You know, that you've got this uh, grandfather fairy in the sky that will pay attention to you. And why isn't he listening to the kids in Darfur? Or it would be very easy. I know, because I see people do it to be get just offended and say, well, there's, there's prophecy and, and there's, you know, the Bible, this, and instead, I always say, I understand what you're saying. Uh, they're not asking me really for why to believe, they're just asking, they're really opening up on why they they can't. And I'll just ask some questions about if there was a God, what would you expect? And we go from there. Sometimes it leads to great conversations, sometimes it does not. But I need to be very very humble whenever I'm challenged. It's hard to do. It is. Uh, You can have amazing opinions, hard won opinions, but be very humble about the way you hold them. I bring this up sometimes. Uh, You can search from the beginning of my time in uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and you're not going to find me correcting people on their timelines or saying, well, I disagree with this. But It happens to me almost every day and when on these broadcasts. um, One of the rules is don't read the comments and that's just a rule. And you know this because comments are where the keyboard commandos cut loose and they they do no matter what you ask them to do. And uh, recently I'm on, on the same day. I made a comment about certain Star Wars based universe program that I thought was moving too slow and I didn't really care that much about. And you could tell that I had offended some people's religious sensibilities because the Star Wars was, ah, that was everything to them. And another, I made what to me was just a humorous reality that every minister deals with. And that is you know, years and years ago, it happened all through my growing up, all through my early ministry life, that you'd approach somebody and you would say, would you do the communion this coming Sunday or in two weeks? And we'll love you to give you time to think about what you want to say, prepare, and then you send them little notes or make phone calls every couple days saying, looking forward to it, God bless you. Only to have them stand up and kind of go, well, and then start paging through the Bible. As I was driving here this morning, I started thinking about what I should say. You're going, and yeah, this is people. And I got a couple of people saying, well, you're making fun of our church. No, I was bringing up the human tendency to not take things seriously and prepare. And yet, boom, in public, now a couple were in private, which I appreciate, but in public, I was excoriated on some sites. Where's the humility that allows us just to say things? You could say, for example, let's go back to the Star Wars thing, that you love Star Wars, you hate Star Trek or vice versa, or that you, and I ought to be able to look at you and go, okay, which is really what I do. Uh, I'm, I'm fighting with it. And you might even say, I've been, I've been to the United Kingdom and I really enjoyed the South of England a lot more than Scotland. And inside, I might think you're nuts, but you might be right. Be completely humble. It's hard. It's hard to lay it aside. It's hard not to react, but we've been asked to, we've been asked to hold back, be very humble and gentle. Even when you do need to correct somebody, there might be a gentle way to do it. Now, hand up here on, I often get this wrong, but I'm really trying. I hope that comes across, that I'm really trying. And when I blow it, I hope that you can tell that I know I blew it. All right. But he goes further, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Let me ask you a question. Why would you need to bear with somebody if it was easy? I think the word choice there by Paul uh, is an appropriate one and a meaningful one. Carries a lot of weight. Bearing with one another is a chore. It is. And that's not an insult to you. It's not an insult to humanity. It is an observation. Observations are not attacks. People are difficult. I'm a people. I'm in the group. If you drew a Venn diagram, I would be in the bubble that said difficult people, because all people are, especially those who think they're right. And especially those who think they aren't hard to bear. And especially those who think that they are the standard to which others should aspire. Bear with those people. Bear with the slow, bear with the too fast, bear with the silly, bear with the too solemn. It's difficult, but that's why it said, bear with. Be patient, bear with one another, and to do it not out of not with exasperation and gritted teeth, but in love. And that whole goes back. Do you remember? We just came out of Romans. Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through chapter 15, verse 7, starts with don't dispute with people over things that can be disputed ends with accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Paul has a theme, an overwi- um, overriding, overwhelming theme that is made him prisoner and I feel it's, it's just an awful crime that we've made Paul into being a big law and list giver when if you really look at his writing and watch it unfold it's all about love and the assurance of salvation and grace like it is here. And then verse 3, make every, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Every effort. I've had people tell me before, well I did everything I could and sometimes they are correct. Most of the time they did everything they knew how to do but then they quit. You see, the bearing with sometimes takes time, a lot of time, a lifetime. And sometimes at the end of a lifetime, it still won't look like it did any good. Your job is not to change people, your job is to love them anyway. Somebody already died for them, somebody already has promised them a reward in heaven, and I hope everybody gets it. I really do. And we're going to talk more about that, but that's. That's probably gonna be in a Monday morning message series that's a, a long way off. We just started a new series there. Uh, and that's gonna take some time. Make every effort also makes me think of uh, Paul, when he looks at him and goes, you haven't yet resisted unto blood. In other words, people say, oh, I'm just, you know, I tried to put up with it, and Paul's going, you know, you might wanna look at me. Paul, not Patrick. Paul, he'd been, they tried to kill him with rocks. They beat him with rods. He was a shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. They eventually cut off his head and he's looking at at us going, I'm not seeing so many scars, so don't try to impress me by saying I, you know, I resisted because I don't see any blood on the floor yet. And Paul had the right to say that because he'd been there. You know, and he had seen it. So make every effort. In fact, Paul's effort was so powerful that in the book of Philippians chapter one, he would even say, I don't care if there are people out there preaching and their very purpose is to make it harder for me here in prison. And he says, and I don't care as long as they're talking about Jesus. That's the attitude. Wow. That's, That's a big ask. That's a high bar. But here it is make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. You will find, um, if you know me for a long period of time and you sit around and talk to me that when people talk about things, I very often do not venture an opinion. I know it's hard to believe because every time you see me, I'm talking, but here's the truth. You can check with Cami and those that know me. If I'm not working, I'm not talking. And it's not because, you know, you're not paying me. So I'm not talking. No, it's, um, Doing this is nerve wracking to me. Preaching is nerve wracking to me. Public speaking is, unless it's something I really, really am passionate about to a, a small group of people that I've known forever, it, it's always nerve wracking and people don't believe it. They'll say, well, it looks so natural. Oh, that's just cause I work hard at it. But if you're sitting around talking about this, that or the other, I will rarely venture an opinion or answer yours because I don't need to, and you don't need to either. You see, we can stay united better if we don't fight each other and don't even bring up those differences among us. Uh, There are people that no matter what I post on Monday Morning Message, it is like I've hit them with a cattle prod and boom, the emails come every week. And I, and I keep saying, it's all right, but I'm not going to argue with you. It's all right. Set up a, a, a podcast or something and, and present your point of view. You know, I'm not going to turn this into a debating society. Oh, it, it makes them angry, but just, I'm going to let them do it. I'm not going to post their stuff, put it on Twitter and say, these are the names. I'm not going to dock them or try to cancel them. It's, um, I don't know what it is about humans that feel the need to make other people see what they see. You don't, don't need to. You can enjoy being who you are and loving who they are. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, through peace, not through regulation. Many church leaders believe the way to keep the unity of the church is through these sets of rules. These people don't like it if we clap. These people don't like it if we have bells. These people don't like it if we sing certain songs. These people don't like it if we don't sing certain songs. So we're going to make all of these rules to keep us united. No, no. Rules don't unite you. Love does. And the overwhelming desire for peace, that will do it, that will do it. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And yet I grew up with this passage being used to divide us and set us apart as the only true church, as opposed to the other ones. And if you're looking at that and said, how in the world did you do that? It took skill. It took a long time of, um, ratiocination. Uh, it, it took a lot. Let's look it up. It, it took a long time of scholasticism where you would grab bits and pieces, uh, and you would have an opinion already and you'd assemble the puzzle the way you wanted it to look. But we would say things like, there's only one body. So this denominational stuff, if you're a member of a denomination, you're not a member because that's a, that's a division. I don't think we quite understood the concept of what denominations were. And I say we, because I taught it. I believed that. I taught all of that because that's what I was taught. And then you go back and you just read it. How can we be completely humble, keeping our opinions to ourselves? Remember in Romans 14 and 15, keep it to yourself. How can we be humble? How can we keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? Paul says, because you are united already there's only one body. There's only one hope. And we would jump on this one baptism and one faith. And that faith we equated with being our church system of doing things. No, our faith is that Jesus will save us because we need a savior. He's the savior, the son of God. That's our faith. In fact, Paul said, as we've already looked when we went through the books of Corinthians, that's all he knows. He's happy knowing nothing other than Jesus and him crucified. That's it. That's enough. And a lot of us are going, well, yes, it is enough if you add this. And we all add a different thing. And after a while, it begins to look like a big top heavy bureaucratic church and not a movement of people across the planet bringing heaven everywhere they go. One, what is our hope Um, there's a song and again you may love this song and that's entirely fine I I, 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 seriously I don't have a problem with it I have a problem singing it uh, or certain verses of it Um, it talks about I'm satisfied with just a cottage below a little silver a little gold but in that city where the ransom will shine I want a gold one that's silver-lined. You know, I think I get it. I do. Because Christians, and perhaps the one who wrote that, often suffer on this planet, and sometimes they are in want. They're in need. They're cold, or they're hungry, or they are threatened, or they have um, there's food anxiety, there's a loss of jobs. They, I get it. And so they're dreaming of this big, beautiful place in heaven. Well, I think we all want to go to heaven and we all want heaven already in us, which it is, by the way, spoiler alert. But um, I just have a hard time with that. First of all, I'd be lying. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below. I live in a nice house in a middle class neighborhood. It's not a cottage. It has running water. It has air conditioner and heat, both of which we use extensively. It has nice floors. A couple of them crack every now and then, but you know, I crack when I move too. So it's not a cottage. In fact, when I was a boy, had I come into the house that I live in now, I would have thought it was a mansion. Now I don't think it is. Now I think it's just a middle class and even not an upper middle, just a middle middle. But, um, I, I, I don't think I can say satisfied with just these little things. You know, I can't wait for the big stuff. It's kind of like that other old hymn, there will be showers of, 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 of blessing. In the chorus it goes, mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. And I'm going, I cannot call what God has poured into my life mere mercy drops. He has flooded me with mercy and blessings. But what happens If you sing those and they mean a lot to you. Hey, I'll sing right along with you. Maybe a little quiet during one of the verses or two, just because I and God understands that. But then I'll join in heartily when I can. Because we are all really having one hope. I don't think each of us get a mansion in heaven. I think that was a mistranslation in John 14. And I'm not alone. Um, And again, not a Greek reader, um, expert by any stretch. I just make a lot of friends and I know who is. And most of the newer versions doesn't say in my father's house, there are many mansions. It says rooms. You get a stay in the big house. He's got room for you. I don't know how that works. I think all of it is symbolic at one stage or another because we live in the, in the land of physical and that's not the land of physical, but whatever it is, However God wants to work, it's fine by me. That's our hope to live with Christ on the other side in the family of God forever. That's our hope. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called the one hope when you were called one Lord. I'll never forget the man uh, who was red in face. I was quite worried about his heart. Not about like, you know, I'm afraid your heart's not right. No, I mean, I thought he might have a stroke. He had worked himself up to that state. His hands were flying about. He's leaning in, red-faced, beads of sweat on, veins popping, angry at me. He felt I was killing his church and ruining his church because I was suggesting that not just that church is going to heaven. It really upset him. And he kept accusing me of various things. And he finally got his finger right up near my face, which I'm very uncomfortable with, by the way. Uh, and that doesn't give you permission to come and go, ha ha ha. No, it doesn't, um, be kind. And he, he, he growled, you are in disagreement with God. And I looked at him cause I'd already asked several times if he could show me where I said, no, I'm in disagreement with you and I can tell the difference between you and God. I can tell the difference between me and God. Oh yeah. I fear for those who think God thinks like they think and likes what they like and votes the way they would vote and I fear for those people. There's one Lord, one God. We're not him. I raised my kids with several sets of two rules. Um, one, one that I often would use for the church that I served up in Michigan was number one, be like Jesus. Number two, don't be stupid. And some people love that and some people didn't. It's the way humans are. But when I raised my kids, I said you need to know that there are two facts in the universe, two facts. And These facts overwhelm and trump every other fact. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you're not him. That's how you stay humble. It also helped, you know, one of the things that helps me stay humble is all the times I've been wrong. And I look back and go, Oh my goodness. I taught that. I said that I did that. It is shocking. And I assume I'm not done being wrong that God has a lot of redeeming work to do, even in this old husk of a guy. There is a God. We're not him. Paul's reminding people of this. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And here we would launch into sermons. When I was a boy and a young man, I preached the sermons myself. That it's not sprinkling, it's not pouring, it's not... um, dry cleaning, like the the Quakers or Salvation Army would do, although some Salvation Army groups are now baptizing and even taking the Lord's Supper, which is quite a surprise to me. Uh, They've always been a sacrament-free church and a movement. But, you know, people change. But we would say, no, it has to be immersion and not immersion to join the church, or that not immersion because you are saved, but immersion because you believe and you know you're lost and now to be saved. And by the way, I think we had most of that absolutely dead on correct. But then we limited God and said, God can only save those who hit this bar when that's not what he said. He told us to get out of that business. So what is the baptism that we are baptized with? I can be completely wrong. All right. And I'm not saying that in a false humility, like I could be wrong, but no, no, I could be wrong. So are you ready to throw red flags in the air? Because you need to. This is Patrick talking to you. The Jews used the word baptism to refer to a lot of things, mainly a big concept. They also referred to it as the lowering of yourself into water, a submersion, a submersion, immersion where you went down and up, right? And they did that ritually. Uh, The Jews did as they would prepare for prayers at the temple. Uh, You had the mikvah, mikvah ut, You had those out there um, and they would, they would baptize themselves. And then John the Baptist was baptizing people. And so there was that set part. But there was also the baptism in the fire and the clouds. Do you remember that? We looked at that in Corinthians and also in Romans, that Jesus Christ was the cloud and the fire that was with them, and they were baptized in that cloud and fire. Well, that has nothing to do with water. It means you've been overrun by the by the might of the deity. He is now overwhelmed. You are immersed in him, a prisoner of the Lord, you might say, back in verse four. I'm sorry, chapter four, verse one. This baptism, this one faith is one baptism should overwhelm all other things. And that concept goes really beautifully with the fact of water. Um, Water is known in science as the universal solvent. What that means is if you give water enough time and sometimes enough water, it will always win. Water will always find a way. Water will cut its way through rock. It'll cut its way through metal if you give it long enough because it's a universal solvent. Now, it might take many thousands of years, but it will do it. Water, the water of of baptism is a symbol. Yes, it is. Um, Peter says the baptism which saves us like the ark saved Noah. It is a symbol, but it's also an act of salvation. And it's not a one-time deal. I need to be baptized with Christ every day of my life. Not with water anymore, but rather where the water of Christ dissolves everything else out of Patrick that shouldn't be there. may take time. So far, the evidence is that it does take time in Patrick. But it's working. And it will work. One God and Father who's over- the saved, and through the saved, and in the saved. Oh, it doesn't say that. Overall, see, we could go with that one. Even if we're very harsh, judgmental, only a tiny remnant will be saved. That he is still overall and through all. Well, we could, we, we could find a way with that one, um, that, that God's presence is everywhere. And that's how he's through all and in all. We've often said, Christians, that one of the great benefits of being a Christian is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are now resident within us. And Paul just says he's resident everywhere. And if that's shocking to you, please go revisit Acts, when Paul's up on Mars Hill looking at a bunch of pagan people. And he said, that God that you've missed isn't far from any of you. You don't have to go seek him. He's already there. Isn't that cool? Ramifications of that are pretty impressive and overwhelming, like a flood, like a baptism, like being cracked with the universal solvent and submerged under it. Then, here's the fact, he may be, all of these things are true, and yet we are still people. Therefore, we, we still are different, and we bump up against each other like sandpaper, or like flints throwing off sparks. So he says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What is he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions that uh, or the depths of the earth some versions say he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe okay we're going to stop there because we've got another thought coming up i want to run back because quite frankly paul loses 99 percent of people with that argument um because We think we get it to each one of us. Grace has been given as Christ has apportioned us. But then the high and the low, what in the world? All right, let's do that in the the time we have remaining today. uh, Because we're we're not going to zip through Ephesians 4. It's just not fair. Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Uh, I'm saved. And I hope that doesn't offend you that God has given me that much grace, because it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot of grace. You're, you're saved too. He gave you grace. Our problem isn't with grace. We're, we're big fans of grace. Our problem is generally that God is giving grace to people we don't think deserve it. Well, the thing is nobody deserves grace. Fair enough. All right, let's just get rid of that one off to the side. Here's the problem is that I think my sins all have an explanation. And if you understand the entire context of my life and my situation, then you have to, you you would have to say, okay, I get it. Patrick's a good guy, even though, but your sins are not my sins. And I do not know those contexts and I do not know your background, nor do I really care. I'm talking as a human being, general person, right? We're offended if God gives grace to people that we wouldn't give grace to, but we want grace. Dear dear friends, um, there's enough grace to go around. He's never going to run out. That's what the next part of this means. He ascended, He descended, He fills the universe. There is no place in the universe Christ has not filled. There is enough grace for you, but also enough grace for everybody you don't care that much about. And you're going to need then to go back to the first of chapter four and be humble and gentle, and bear with each other in love. You see how it comes together now? That's what that whole up and down thing meant. It's a very Jewish way of arguing. Those of us in the West, we miss it, unless we have good friends who are scholars of the culture and the language of the day. And thank God we have those people They write big, long, dusty books that few of us will read. But if you did read, you might go, wow, these people really they help me out here. I see something. Well, it was he, <coughs> Christ, who gave <clears throat> some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Let's just split those up. Um, we generally do really quick definitions of these. Apostles, we say those are those sent because that's what that means. It, there's a lot more weight to it. Some will say, to be an apostle, you had to be called by Christ, and you had to have seen him before and after his resurrection. And they they have a good argument for that. But um, I'm not sure that we can quite close the lid on that at this stage. And yet, at the same time, if you were to come up to me and say that you were an apostle, I would question that. But I would probably do it inside. I can remember when we were first married, we were working in the coast of North Carolina, uh, helping turn an old pet shop into a church building. And uh, there was a, a pastor of a church around that had a van. And the van had written on the side, I wish I'd memorized it at the time. This is back around 1979, 1980, uh, that said, you know, his name, evangelist, minister, prophet, apostle. And um, okay. But I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about here. I think he's really talking what we might call a church father or the, um, not, not what later generations would call church fathers, but like you have the 12 apostles and you have the 12 tribes and, and I'm aware that on both of those, tribes and apostles, you can count the numbers different um, and come up with different numbers and different lists because they do in the Old Testament. The list of the 12 tribes in the Old Testament varies. Uh, And with apostles, we could add Matthias and Paul and all of a sudden we're well over 12, right? Junia, I think good argument can be made to, to add her in there. But regardless, there were people blessed and filled with the Spirit to do certain foundational things for our church. So apostles. And by the way, if you have a different definition of this, guess what I'm not gonna argue with you I might be wrong you might be wrong but we have one faith in one God and we're not him so some to be prophets the word prophet generally means people that are skilled at saying the things of God in public Uh, so preachers teachers if it's a larger group most of the time when it says teachers, it's referring to a smaller group uh, because those are two different skill sets. Uh, and some people have both, but you, not necessarily. Some to be evangelists, those are people on the move. I think of the late Jerry Tallman, who was the evangelist for the Rochester Church of Christ in Rochester Hills, Michigan, for a very long time. A pure evangelist and a stunningly effective one. Uh, just, I was in awe of Jerry and he has now gone on to see Jesus and I look forward to seeing him again. But these are people who, they're, they're about the good news. They are spreaders of the good news and they go reaching people who haven't heard the good news. Some to be pastors, those are leaders of people who already have faith, but they, needs, they need protected and loved and taught and cared for. Uh, and then teachers smaller groups, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith. So we are united, but we we have some work to do to show the unity we already have. And in the knowledge of the Son of God, we all grow up and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ oh that last line gives it away so should we beat ourselves up now because we're not all completely united in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of no because one of our goals is also to be full of the whole measure of the fullness of christ do you think you are going to get there in human terms before we as shakespeare would put shuffle off this mortal coil Now, but it's a goal. And for that, as Paul will say elsewhere, and we'll get to that eventually, I press on, forgetting the things that are behind, I press on. So let's press on. Next week, we'll pick it up right here. God bless. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe, share this with others. Thank you for those who give. It's just amazing. You have been wonderful. God bless you. Cheers.